What made you want to take this full-time bet on being a creator? There were two big reasons. The first reason was what really prompted me was we were gonna return to office at my job. So we were remote because of the pandemic and then we were supposed to return. And at the time that would mean less time for me to do my TikTok account and all the impact that I was making in my community. I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to just go back to business as usual. Like we hadn't experienced a whole ass pandemic, you know? So that was part of like what made me pause and be like, hold on, is this really what I want to just go back to business as usual and take time away from the impact that I'm making? The other reason was because, um, you know, I started getting paid opportunities because of my TikTok account. You're listening to Moneda Moves, a podcast where we cover the intersection of money and cultura. I'm your host, Leon Alfaro, a Latina award-winning journalist, producer, and strategist. On this podcast, I will highlight stories illustrating Latinx relationships with money, our contributions, and role in the American economy. Here, we'll increase transparency around the netto issues and achievements of our community, as well as that of our POC peers, to inspire you to pursue your own financial poder. Join me bi-weekly as we cover stories with our community's front and center, alongside dinero experts, entrepreneurs, and innovators. No te lo quieres perder. Building wealth and navigating a career when you're first generation in a new country is hard. And Giovanna Gonzalez gets it. She's a proud first-generation American, daughter of Mexican immigrants, first-generation college graduate, and first-gen white-collar professional. But it's not impossible to get there, and it's just a bit easier when you have a mentor. And Giovanna's been through this road before. In the last 10 years, she paid off $50,000 collegiate and car debt, and today is not only debt-free, but also holds a net worth of more than $120,000. As also the creator of the First Gen Mentor, today she also teaches hundreds of thousands of her followers how to build their own wealth and shares tactical career advice. Among her followers is me, because I can relate to Giovanna on being first gen to navigate a career and also to build wealth for not only myself, but generations that come before me and the ones that come after. So today we sat down and we speak with her a little bit more about how she became a finance educator and mid-pandemic also a full-time creator on TikTok with more than 184,000 followers. We also talk about how she's taking her family on this financial journey. So Giovanna, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Leanne. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm so excited for this conversation. Me too. Let's dive into these questions. Uh, I, I wanted to make sure that people get a chance to know you. We know you on social media and have gotten so much uh, first-gen advice, but you wear so many hats. Like I am just so impressed when I look at your resume. You are a financial educator, a creator, an advocate, and on TikTok, you, are, you know yourself as the first-gen mentor. So talk to us about how you came up with that name, why you decided to hone in on being a mentor to the first-gen community. Yeah, so there's actually a pretty cool story that goes along with that. So I joined TikTok in March of 2020 in the height of the pandemic, right? Uh, just as a distraction from all the chaos that was going on at the time, never looking to have a platform in any way that just, you know, that wasn't even in my mindset at the time. Um, that changed in March 2021. When I came across this video on my For You page, it was a video of a young 
white woman who was in law school and she was bragging about how law school was so easy for her because if she ever got stuck with any of her homework or her case studies, she could just ring her parents because both of them were practicing attorneys and they could walk her through the homework. Um, and, you know, at the time, I just thought it was very thoughtless for the times that we were living in, you know, with kids still struggling with the pandemic and remote learning and all this stuff. So I made a video response, which if anybody isn't familiar with TikTok, they're called stitches. <laughs> and um, on the stitch, you know, instead of trashing the woman, I just kind of put a positive message out there. I said, hey, if you're first gen and you see this video, like, don't let it discourage you. Like, sure, our path is a little bit harder because we don't have that kind of support. But like, we're smart, we're resilient, we're hardworking, you're going to figure it out, you're going to be fine. And um you know, not really expecting much of it. I just wanted to put it out there just in case one person saw it, right? And it could make them feel better. But um, I think it got over 100,000 views and I got a lot of engagement where people in the comment section were like, thanks for saying this. Like I saw this video earlier and I, you know, it really rubbed me the wrong way. And, uh, or thanks for saying this, you know, I've really been struggling with school and seeing that video didn't help. So like now I feel a little bit better. Um, so just thanks across the board. And for me, that was like my little aha moment of like, wow, I can actually, you know, contribute to this platform instead of just mindlessly scrolling on the app, um, I can help. And, um, you know, to me, that was like second nature to help in that way, because I was already helping in my community in that way. So I was already mentoring first gen students in my community through my alma mater. Wow. And I was um, teaching financial literacy as a I'm volunteer financial educator um, at a nonprofit. So just to combine those two and now just put them on social media to reach more people just made sense at the time. <laughs> so I remember this video, actually. It's interesting that you mentioned it because I think it went pretty viral. And then I also had the same kind of reaction, but uh, I also just didn't know how to respond. It just has that shock value where it's just like, what, what happens with TikTok is I, I love the For You page because it, it's, it provides discoverability to people who don't necessarily think like you, right? Perhaps and social other social media platforms that wouldn't have been the case because you're only exposed to yeah. people you follow, right? Your echo so chamber. It's an mm -hmm. echo chamber, right? So mm -hmm. when I saw it, I was just like, why is this being served to me, right? Like this is just does not resonate with the way that I think at all. But I love your spin on it that you said, hey, like I can put a positive message out there make sure that this isn't, the, this isn't the only siloed messaging that people are getting out there and they don't, they don't feel seen. So right. I love that you went on the platform, you responded, um, which is something very much needed. And you're bridging also your, your, your digital world and your physical world, right, of mentorship. Did you have a mentor growing up? I did not, you know, everybody asked me that and, you know, it's, it's a little sad to say, um, part of it is my fault and I, I never actively sought out mentorship. Now I know being in this space, there's so many formal mentorship programs available to anybody that needs the support. Um, I think I just didn't know well enough about them to, you know, uh, consider them. But then I, I know people that have gotten mentors, you know, naturally, right, in the workplace or, I don't know, through an internship. And that never happened either, you know. So that's the part where I'm like, it's a little sad that nobody, you know, lent me that hand when I was younger. But, um, you know, that didn't stop me from still trying to help other people from, you know, um, elevating them in ways that I wasn't elevated when I was younger. So, um, now I know the benefits of mentorship from somebody that gives mentorship to other people. And I know it's transformational. 
Yeah, you're almost filling for that presence, that void that you didn't have growing up. And honestly, like, I don't think the onus is ever on the student or uh, however you want to frame it, the mentee, because especially if you grew up in certain neighborhoods where you don't have access to these kind of things, you're not aware that this is something that is accessible, especially if you can't see it in your community um, immediately. Totally. It's like that saying, right? Like you don't know what you don't know. Exactly. That's exactly right. So I love that you're building this community, really inviting people into a home where it's just like, you can come and ask questions. Like if you thought that this isn't for you really now, this is the space where you can come and do that. It's it's allowing people to be vulnerable. I, I would think for sure. Yeah, totally. Um, You know, and there's a lot of creators in this space now, which I'm thankful for, because, you know, I can't do all the work as much as I would love to, you know, um, there needs to be more of us showing up for our community. So my focus is mostly like on financial literacy and, you know, early career navigation, but you know, there's so many other components to the first gen experience, you know, there's like the healing part, um, you know, yeah, the, you know, going to therapy, um, there's, there's, there's a lot, you know, and, and that stuff that I don't feel that I'm an expert in. So I don't, I don't cover that, you know, but people ask me, Hey, I'm going through this. And I point them to other accounts, you know, with licensed therapists that can kind of give some guidance there. I love that. Yeah. What an incredible, uh, like web of communities that TikTok has allowed people to create, Um, Now, you're speaking to, I'm sure, many other people who are building first generation in their families, and we all start somewhere. Uh, We're not a monolith, though, so we all start from very distinct places. So can you share with us your personal, personal finance story? That sounds very (laughs) redundant. But just when did you first learn about this and what was your first experience with it? Yeah, well, I think like a lot of, you know, um, first gen, I didn't grow up talking about money, you know, in my family. you know, my family, we were a low income family, but, but we had enough. We never felt like we were going without. So I'm very thankful for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I went to college, got myself into some debt because my parents didn't have the means to pay. I didn't know how to navigate the scholarship system, you know, so, uh, I came out with like $35,000 of debt. Um, and I also had some car, a car loan. So I had a $20,000 car loan for my new car. Um, you know, and, and starting the world, you know, as a, as a new adult, you know, at 21 with almost $50,000 in, in debt or $50,000 debt, it was tough, you know, so, so I have a lot of empathy for, for kids and, and with student loans and all that stuff. So, yeah, I mean, at the time I'm going back to my early twenties, you know, debt was just normal to me. It was just something that I had to do to get to where I was. And that was, you know, being a college graduate. So through the majority of my twenties, you know, I just kind of floated through finances, just, you know, my check was my check. And then I paid my bills and that was it. I didn't have any sort of financial goals. I didn't know that you were supposed to be increasing your net worth over time. Right. That was the goal. So that changed in my late twenties. When I went to career day uh, at my old high school and uh, I shared my career tra- trajectory with the students. And one of the things that I shared with the students was that I really encouraged them to study abroad because it's something that I really regret not taking advantage of. At the time, I didn't do it when I was in college because I would have had to have taken on more debt. And I already was graduating with debt, so I didn't. But um, the kids were really excited to hear that advice and they were thankful. But then after leaving career day that day, I just kind of thought like, wow, so this is it for me. I never am going to get the chance to travel or do anything fun. Like I just advise these kids to. So then um, I started thinking, you know, there, there has to be more. 
there has to be more like, you know, am I really not going to be able to travel extensively until I'm, you know, 65 and retire, you know, cause you know, you know, you get two week vacations, but that's not the same, like a study abroad program where you're, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah, you know, and, and you lose so much time with the traveling that you're really only there, like, I don't know, 10 days or something. So then that's when I started Googling and I came across the fire community and I found that there was more, right? So if anybody that doesn't know fire community, it's financial independence, retire early, you save and invest aggressively to retire well before the traditional retirement age of 65. And that just, you know, the fire, right? It lights a fire inside you. And that's really what catapulted me into learning everything that I could about personal finance. So um, yeah, I mean, I spent like a summer reading all the personal finance books that I could get a hold of. I read like over 50 personal finance books. I listened to a bunch of podcasts, was super engaged with these Facebook groups, asking questions, learning from other people. Uh, So, so yeah, it was something that came later in my twenties. Wow. So you drove straight into the community and you read, oh, you read so much and you took in so much. Do you have any that like really stuck with you, whether it's podcasts or books that you think still hold today? Sure. Yeah. I mean, podcasts, um, you know, one that I'm really grateful for is Her Money with Jean Chatsky. So um, anybody that doesn't know Jean Chatsky, I really like um, you know, how she shows up in the personal finance community because she's very non-judgmental. She has like a very calming presence as opposed to like other personal finance <laughs> abundance. So I'm a real big fan of Jean Chatsky because of that. Although I will say, you know, as, as a white woman, she definitely was lacking the first gen experience. Right. And that's something that didn't help me feel seen when I was listening to her podcast, no shade to her, you know, that's just what it was. But yeah, I remember a lot of the listener questions that she answered would be like, my family just gifted me with $100,000 and I have no idea how to best maximize this beautiful gift. And I'm like, what? Not really. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not at all. Not, you know, so those were the types of questions about receiving generational wealth that I just couldn't relate to at all as a first gen wealth builder. Um, So, but it was very helpful just to, to learn in a safe space with that podcast and then uh, books, you know, the one that really um, awakened me was uh, Smart Women Finish Rich by David Bach. And that was just because it was the first book that I had read where I wasn't told you need to have a 401k. This is why you need to do this. It was very much about the why, about the value that financial freedom brings you and really daydreaming about what that could look like. So, you know, the why is always going to, was, was going to anchor you, right. When things are hard and, you know, budgeting, isn't that fun. So that one was a game changer for me. That's so philosophical. I have to add that to my list of things to read. Um, Yeah. It's from the nineties. It's a little, you know, outdated, but the message still gets across. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think that there's a lot that still holds. And uh, with, with someone like Jean Chatsky, I think it's so important that you mention how, when people with generational wealth are speaking about these themes, and I think it's, it, it ranges not just for personal finance, but when they're speaking about their experiences, it's, it's easy for people who are first gen or first their time building wealth to not feel seen. Um, and so increasing the diversity of people who are speaking about this, I think is a big game changer because at the end of the day, if, if, if they're talking about personal finance is personal, right. And if they didn't have that experience, they can try to speak to the first gen experience and they should certainly acknowledge it. In my opinion, I think it's part of their responsibility and duty, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, they don't have that experience. So unless they elevate somebody who has that experience or has studied it in depth, um, I think it's important to have people like you in the game and people who can speak 
to being the first to build and knowing that that doesn't mean that you can't you can't build just because you're not getting this one hundred thousand dollars to your friends, which by the way, crazy story. <laughs> Oh, there were a lot of those, a lot of those listener questions. Yeah. So it got tough after a while, you know? So yeah, but it's, it's out there. Um, you had an entire career at, as a white collar worker before starting your career as a creator. So I, I want to know a little bit more about it because you made your way up to assistant vice president. It sounds like you could have had a very successful career in corporate. What made you want to take this full-time bet on being a creator? <laughs> I love because that question is a little tough for me. Um, there were two big reasons. So the first reason was um, what really prompted me was we were going to return to office at my job. So we were remote because of the pandemic. And then we were supposed to return in the fall of 2021. And at the time, that would mean less time for me to do my TikTok account and all the impact that I was making in my community, you know, because I was going to have to go back to a commute, back to having to, you know, do my makeup to show up in the office, all these fun things, right? And um, I wasn't ready. I wasn't ready to just go back to business as usual. Like we hadn't experienced a whole ass pandemic, you know? So um, that was part of like what made me pause and be like, hold on, is this really what I want to just go back to business as usual and take time away from the impact that I'm making? The other reason was because, um, you know, I started getting paid opportunities because of my TikTok account. So I started getting opportunities to be a speaker at a college or to teach, you know, a credit building class to uh, students at a university as well as brand partners that were like, hey, can we sponsor you for a video? Or somebody saying, hey, can I do a consultation with you where you can do money coaching with me? And because of the industry that I was in, which was an asset management, I wasn't able to do both. You know, there was a conflict there. Um, so I couldn't, you know, jeopardize my job doing what I was doing if I was going to start to take these pay opportunities, you know? So for a long time, I was saying, no, like, no, I can't take this money, but I would refer them to other people. But then it got to a point where it's like, okay, return to office. And I need to keep saying no to paid opportunities. So I, I took the leap then. It was hard though. It was a, it was a lot of internal turmoil to get there. Yeah. And I can imagine that quite a few people had that. Um, now we know that uh, Latinas were among like the biggest groups to leave the workforce and for varied reasons, right? Like some of them were need-based, parent-based, but I think that one of these reasons was definitely people saw opportunities outside of their nine to five full-time corporate jobs. And so for you to see like the glimmer of those opportunities and be like, I'm going to take a full bet on it. Uh, it's, it's kind of scary. Did you have like a financial plan for that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I had about 14 months of my living expenses saved up, um, you know, to kind of hold me over. And the reason I had that much money was because, you know, going back to how I got into personal finance and I started learning about the FIRE movement. One of the things that I learned while reading about the FIRE movement was, you know, that people took these sabbaticals, you know, that I never grew up knowing what a sabbatical was. So I learned about that. And that was, you know, uh, a way for me to make up for never studying abroad by taking a, a mid-career sabbatical where I was going to travel the world for a year. So I was busy squirreling away money for this big dream, um, you know, when the pandemic hit and kind of put all traveling to a halt. So uh, when I had that fork in the road about, you know, stay in your career, keep going up the ladder or quit to pursue this new venture, I had the funds, right, to really 
um, take that opportunity by the horns. But, you know, I, I go back to saying that it wasn't easy because, you know, my quit story is a little bit different from what you typically hear where, you know, people are leaving like a toxic work environment or a bad boss. But um, I was finally at a place in my career where I was very happy where I was working. You know, I was seen, um, I was fulfilled. I was on high visibility projects. I was on the up and up with management. So it was frustrating for me. It's like, why did this opportunity come when I'm like at the best point of my career, you know, but, but I took the leap and I'm glad that it did because it really paid off. Yeah. Life is, is weird sometimes in some, some of those ways where it presents you with opportunities and you're just like, I have two really good options, but, um, I mean, I don't know, speaking from a viewer's perspective, I'm really glad you took a full-time bet on this and you seem very happy. And I'm sure that not every day is, is easy, but you're doing something that you really, really believe in and it shows. Thank you. I appreciate that so much. Yeah. I like to tell myself that I gave myself permission to go from my zone of excellence to my zone of genius, you know, cause the job that I did, it was challenging. I liked doing it, uh, you know, but it didn't fulfill me in the way that the work that I do now does. Yeah. Yeah. I can only imagine now, uh, Giovanna, we've talked so much about your personal experience and I, I love that. I think so many people are going to be able to take those nuggets and maybe apply them to their lives in some way. I want to talk a little bit about your thoughts on the Latinx first-gen community at large. Um, we have so much opportunity for economic growth. We know that we have huge economic power, but when we looked at when we look at the percentage of Latinos unbanked, uh, we could probably do better. Uh, and that 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 comes from like the educator side and, and policy side. But I want to talk about what our communities can do better at large, like people that are first to build wealth. And speaking as somebody who was first to build wealth herself. What do you think are some of the biggest opportunities for growth in personal finance? The first that comes to mind is, you know, really taking charge of your journey to learn about money, you know, because it's not something that you were taught at school. It's not something you were taught at home because your parents were just trying to like survive and, you know, keep the lights on and keep food on the table. Right. So they didn't really have the time. Um, or resources, right, to really maximize or master the financial system. So I think realizing that, that just because you didn't learn it doesn't mean that it's not important. You still should be taking charge and understanding how money works. Um, and, you know, everybody learns differently. Some people learn through podcasts, other people learn through books, you know, some people love YouTube, some people love TikTok, you know, so just whatever, whatever speaks to you. And then secondly, I'd say have open money conversations with friends and family, normalize talking about money. You know, there's definitely this taboo in our community, right? About like, no se habla de dinero, right? We don't talk about money, but money matters. Money affects us all in every way, you know? So, so we need to make those uncomfy conversations, you know, uh, normal for us to have, you know, to, to ask our parents, you know, hey, what's your debt look, what's your debt looking like? You know, do you have any savings in case, you know, the HVAC goes out? Just these are important conversations to have, even about retirement, right? Um, I think there's a lot of anxiety in our community about being our parents' retirement plan, but we need to start those discussions about, okay, do you need support? What kind of support do you need? And what kind of support am I able and willing to provide? And coming up with a plan, you know, that'll really help reduce that anxiety around that. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's interesting how even though we tend to stay away from talking about money or say money, talking about money is taboo uh, in the Latinx community, but even as a society, and it's much more social than we might expect. Like 
that anxiety, that's like a social component, right? That affects the way that you navigate life. So being able to breach these conversations sooner and having a plan, like you said, can at least prepare you for that future and what it'll look like. Totally. No. And I, you know, I think a lot, I say this to my followers all the time, just like get those conversations started. Cause I know that a lot of them do have that stress of like, Oh, I can hardly figure out how to save for my retirement. I'm supposed to help my parents too. I want to help, but I just don't know how, you know? And then sometimes they talk to the parents and the parents are like, Oh no, we got to figure it out. You know, we're moving back to Mexico. We have some terrenos out there or whatever it is. Right. So then that kind of helps alleviate that anxiety. Or if the, the parents really don't have anything planned, all right, well, let's start talking about it and let's start executing a plan so that we can all be better financially you know but that's not going to happen unless you start talking about it absolutely and now when we look at personal finance at large and in helping the latinx first gen community but just the community in large uh overcome some of these barriers and these challenges where do we need better systems in place right because we don't operate in a silo we operate in a place with policy and and career uh, career structures and, and mentorship um, I have a lot to say on this topic. Um, number one, I think, you know, professionally, I do think that corporations are partly responsible in the financial education of first-gen professionals, you know, so I think employee resource groups are a great way to serve this underserved community, you know, because a lot of us, this is our first time making this corporate salary, you know, and our parents don't know how to navigate the corporate space or how to maximize, you know, benefits or ask for salary reviews or promotions or any of this stuff, you know, so employee resource groups give us that safe space to have those discussions and start educating us about career advancement or about money management. Um, second, I think in the financial industry, we just need more bilingual speakers, you know, bilingual financial advisors, bilingual financial planners, because um, sometimes we feel like it's not for us, right? If we, we don't see people that will, can speak to us in a language that we're comfortable and we're just like, mm, well, that's, you know, for rich white people, it's not for me. And, you know, money matters for all of us. I wholeheartedly agree. And especially on Spanish speaking resources, I'm kind of in perpetually in shock of how few there are, but know how important that is. I actually, on this podcast, we did speak with a fintech founder of a company called Listo. And so mm. he works to get Latino access, especially Spanish speakers, access to banks um, and financial institutions to get um, fair resources and equitable resources and to actually get them banked if that is something that they want um, and have them understand it. And one of the strategies that he used was using brick and mortar um, mm. and Spanish speakers, because that's the other thing, like that so many of our Spanish speaking and older generations um, are really hesitant to use digital platforms. Um, they're mm. very distrustful of it. And I think for reasons that historically have been proved out, I think banks haven't always been a place to trust for older generations and digital platforms are just like so native. There's still a digital divide in some of our communities. So having resources in Spanish, A, but I think also like having that touch point that can bridge those worlds is super, super helpful for our communities. Um, yeah, the banking industry has a lot of homework to do because, you know, what's also at play here is, at least I know for my family, you know, my family has had very negative experiences with the banking system in Mexico, you know, and they bring that lived experience here thinking that, you know, just like the banks are crooks in Mexico, they're going to be crooks here, you know, so that's part of the distrust that they have for the financial system because they got screwed over by the banks in Mexico. 
And, you know, uh, even, you know, even though some banks are crooks out here too, right? At least the, the, you know, it's a lot more regulated, right? Than in some of these countries. And, and it's, it's very hard to overcome that. I mean, even my dad is severely underbanked. He has, you know, $50,000, which is his entire life savings under his mattress because he just doesn't trust the system. I tell him about investing and it's very frustrating for me as a financial educator. So it's, it's hard. It's hard to overcome that. It's a hard journey and a social journey, I think, too, to, to also because it's not you can try to communicate that to your parents. And I've had this, too. And to say, like, hey, let's start talking about this retirement plan. And you could you could have this this plan to talk about things all you want. But then there's a social component of getting your your parents or your family to also to also buy in to a certain degree to this plan and this discussion. So it's, it's a, it's a work in progress. I think that's, that's what I would have to say about that, but it's definitely something that's needed to, to breach those conversations. Yeah. I think for anybody that, you know, hears this and thinks, Oh, I could never talk to my parents about this. You know, they're just so private when it comes to money, or I have tried and they shot me down, you know, keep trying, you know, it's, it's going to be something that you're going to slowly have to keep picking at them until they get sick of you, you know, but it's not going to be a one discussion done. It's going to be several conversations about it. Absolutely. And on the topic of family, you said this before that when we generate wealth, it's not just for us, but for our families too. So can you share a little bit more about how you brought your family in one way or another on this financial journey? Yeah. So for my mom, um, I really helped her navigate um, her workplace benefits, you know, so got her signed up for health insurance because, you know, she didn't know all the different plans and the deductible and the copay. So explain that to her, um, having her take advantage of her flexible spending account, you know, and that was really helpful because she had surgery and she was able to use that um, account. So um, I've tried to provide financial education to my mother too, but, you know, it's like you can lead a horse to water, right? And if, if they don't want to, they don't want to. Um, for my dad, um, I'm very fortunate that my dad is just very frugal by nature, you know, so even though he hasn't invested in the stock market because he doesn't trust it, uh, fortunately he has invested in like physical, like assets, right. In rental properties in Mexico, you know, so he's, he's, um, he's a, a landlord. Um, he has several uh, rental properties in, in Mexicali where we're from. And then the way that I brought my brothers along for this journey is um, teaching them everything I know until they get sick of me. I have two brothers. One of them is 31. Oh, Lord, he's so old now. And the other one is um, 23, going to be 24. And, you know, I know that we didn't talk about money. So I'm the one that talks to them about money now that we're all grown up. And I explained to them what, you know, a Roth IRA is, what compound interest is, all these things are in simple terms so that they can understand the importance of it. Um, and yeah, I have them signed up for those accounts and I tell them put as much money as you can. And I sit with them and, you know, tell them, this is where you click. <laughs> this is, you know, how you execute this trade. That's now it's automatic. Point. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it takes time. It takes time to, to do those things, but, but I'm happy that they let me in and trust me to help them with that. That's huge. That's absolutely mm-hmm. huge. Especially with brothers. I, I feel like I have a brother <laughs> myself and I can, I can only begin to tell you, it's like, Definitely, like you said, multiple check-ins, multiple conversations, but it, that's amazing that they're taking some actions based on your conversations. It shows progress. Yeah, no, it's, it's been a long road, but, but they're, they're both, they both have these uh, workplace retirements. So I, at least they have that, you know? <laughs> yes, yes, I'm here for it. Now, Giovanna, I ask this question to everybody that comes on the show, but I think for you being a content creator and knowing the creator economy is so fresh 
Can you share with us your most um, like salient or most, most memorable money learning in this creator space so far? Oh, Lordy. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, yeah, this is a whole new industry. There's no way I could have prepared, you know, you can't go to like influencer college or university, right. To learn how to be an influencer and how to navigate the space. I know that there's podcasts now and like YouTube channels where you can watch to learn about this, this world, but um, yeah, it's, it's a lot. I think what I have really had to learn is, is navigating brand partnerships and the negotiations that come along with that. It's tough, you know, it's tough because, you know, um, we have to take on these brand partnerships to be able to be full-time creators, but then we also, you know, want to be paid our worth. And, um, you know, it's, there's so many, there's so much jargon, you know, just like how in the financial industry, there's so much jargon too, you know, in the influencer space, you know, there's, you know, oh my God, perpetuity and boosted content. There's, there's all these terms you have to learn, but, um, something that I have taken from it is, is just, is show me the importance of negotiation, you know? So if you ever see me on my platform, a lot of my content is around salary negotiations, you know, whether you're accepting a job offer or you're negotiating a raise and it's because I'm living it <laughs> right now. I'm negotiating more than I ever have in my career. You know, when I was in corporate, I negotiated, you know, when it was annual review time, right. Maybe another time, you know, to ask for a raise or something. So maybe twice a year, now it's an every week thing, you know, um, it's, it's exhausting. Um, and I have gotten help, you know, now I'm working with an influencer management team that, that takes on a lot of that work, but you know, you set your own prices as a full-time content creator, whether that's for, uh, you know, brand sponsorships or to teach an educational workshop somewhere, you know, so it's very important for me as a woman of color who puts herself on social media and tells others to, you know, advocate for their worth. I need to emulate the same, right? Yeah. And, and it's good to hear that you walk the talk. That's so important. And it, it, I think because it's a new industry too, you, you, you said it's, it's exhausting. And so I wonder if that's because do you feel like it's, it's, it's harder than it should be sometimes to negotiate, to get your paid your worth, or is it just exhausting because you have to just go through the process over and over again? It's exhausting because they play games. I'm out here exposing. Mm. The Listen, I think, I think the more information we have, the better, right? Because oh, I don't care. Real. Yeah, I don't care. Yeah, no, I mean, they play games. And I say, because, you know, they'll give you, let me give you an example. So they'll be like, oh, you know, oh, we can pay you $500 for this video. And it's well below what my market rate is, you know? And then I, I asked for four times more, which is still below my market value. And they're like, okay. So how all of a sudden were you able to quadruple what you asked mm. for, you know? So, so yeah, it's, it's just these jokes where you constantly have to be, you know, asking for more money and it's exhausting because it is through email and it takes time away from my creativity to show up on TikTok or to respond to people via DMs or to do TikTok lives and engage in my community, you know? So it's, it's an energy drainer in that way. So anybody that is in this crazy space, I definitely recommend looking into management sooner than later. I've been working with management for about two months now and it's bought me so much time back and so much of my energy back. Yeah, that's so important because I'm sure this is an exercise that's like helpful to do once or twice, but doing it for every single brand deal can get super exhausting. I do hope that the landscape gets better though. I know that there's another Latina founder creating an entire Kristen. platform. Yeah, Kristen. Yeah, also on TikTok, creating a platform for pay transparency for creators, which like, I mean, long-term, this I, I really hope that this isn't a long-term issue for creators. This shouldn't have to be a thing where you go through an entire process where you're your pay can easily quadruple depending on how much negotiation goes into it. 
Yeah, it's tough. Um, but Giovanna, thank you so much for sharing everything, all of your experience, your journey, your learnings, and we're so excited to keep following you online. Can you tell us where to do that? Yeah, of course. So I'm most active on TikTok. My handle there is at the first gen mentor. If you're on Instagram, it's Gigi, the first gen mentor. And then if you go to my website, thefirstgenmentor.com, I do have a free guide, which is my five favorite money books for beginners. If you're interested in that. Fantastic. And we absolutely are. So again, thanks so much for your time. We're so excited to hear more of your success online. Keep following your money journey. And thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Thank you, mi gente, for joining us this week on Moneda Moves. Before you go, please make sure to hit follow on this podcast so you can receive new episodes right when they are released. You can follow right now in the app you're using to listen to this podcast. Also, continue keeping cuentas and keeping tabs on our Latinx community and money moves via our free newsletter written by yours truly at monedamoves.substack.com. That's monedamoves.substack.com. I'll see you there. Hasta la próxima.